the presence of the Lord is in this place. I hope that you have sensed that this morning. And I hope that you also know that. So I have a question for you. Is life a test? Is the span of time between birth and death, that, that little dash between two numbers, a test? Now, the word test might, might have sent a chill up your spine, right? Uh, memories of showing up to class and being reminded, today I meet my maker. For some of you, that happened last week. For some of us, that happened last millennium. Either way, the words pop quiz, test, exam, those are, those are scary words, aren't they? I have a recurring dream where I'm sitting either in a math class or in an astronomy class in college and I have absolutely no idea what's going on. I don't even know what I don't know. <laughs> Do you know that feeling? And uh, in that situation, I know that the midterm is coming. And I am going to be found out as a farce. This is the kind of stuff that my nightmares are made out of. Now, in life, we're being constantly tested, aren't we? Our patience, our patience, our loyalties, our abilities. But what about in the spiritual realm? Is life... A spiritual test. Is God testing us? Are you right now being tested? Well, 1 Peter, which is not our text, but 1 Peter 1 tells us, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the Tested genuineness of your faith. More precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God, in His grace, gives us parameters so that we can know whether or not our faith is genuine. So we're going to see today in our text that God actually tests our faith. And one way that God tests our faith is based on our ability to test and discern spiritual matters. More specifically, God tests the genuineness of our faith based on how well we discern whether or not a prophet or a teacher speaks from God. So here's my main point today, okay? So I'm going I'm to give you the thesis of, of my sermon. So we're going to be referring back to this often. God is calling you to exercise spiritual discernment on what you're being taught. And your ability to be discerning will amount to greater confidence that you are genuinely saved. In other words, God is calling you to be discerning. And if you discern well, you can be assured 
that you belong to God. So we've been in the book of 1 John. Today we start chapter 4. And the book of 1 John is filled with tests. Our faith is tested. Those who teach us are tested. So today we come to chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. This is what the word of the Lord says. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than who is in he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of of error. So let me give you my outline. Okay, so today we're going to divide this text into three sections. In verse 1, and I'm going to give this outline again as we go through the sermon. In verse 1, we're going to see a call to test. In verses 2 and 3, we're going to see the confessional test. And in verses 4 through 6, we're going to see the apostolic text. So a call to text, to test. Number one, John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. The Christian life, friends, is not a mindless life. The Christian life is not a life in which we can turn off our brains for spiritual experiences. The Christian life is a life of intense intellectual activity. We're told to know the Lord. We're told to renew our minds. We are told to take our thoughts captive. Some would insist that we need faith without reason. All we need is to believe. Friends, that is not faith. That is fideism. Fideism is faith without reason and discernment. Fideism is dangerous because it, lands, it leads to experience without knowledge. True faith is belief that leads to reason and discernment. God is to be known and our experience with him is shaped primarily by our knowledge of him. If we don't know the Lord, if we do not know the Lord the way the Lord reveals himself to us, 
we ultimately don't have a relationship with the Lord. The Christian life is a life of intense mental exercise. Now imagine, imagine a conversation with a, with a husband that goes like this. So how do you feel about your wife? The husband responds, well, I love her. I can't live without her. Well, tell me a little bit more about her. And he responds, actually, I don't know much about her. I just love her. Now, you laugh because that's nonsensical, right? It is impossible. Because in order to love someone intensely, we have to know someone well, right? Likewise, our Christian lives are not lives of mere experience, but, but our Christian lives are lives of knowledge that will lead to experience. The prophet Jeremiah says that there is nothing greater than to know the Lord. This scenario of a husband who loves his wife but does not know her is impossible. So why do we think that it is possible for Christians to have an emotional experience with God but not having a growing intellectual experience with Him? This is why John says in this verse, don't believe every spirit. Meaning, don't be gullible. Be engaged. Because not all spirits are equal. Not all spirits proceed from God. Listen to how Paul tells us about spirits that we shouldn't be deceived by in Ephesians 2. And you were dead in the trespasses, in, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of this air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Friends, just because an experience seems spiritual, it does not mean it comes from the Lord. Just because there are emotions involved in an experience, it does not mean it correlates with the truth that comes from God. John is calling us to be discerning, and discernment comes from knowledge of the truth. Friends, the world today is plagued with false teachers. The world today is plagued with people that want to dumb down your intellect and heighten your emotions. We have to be careful. Now, spirit in our passage today refers to the work of the spirit that is behind a teacher. Okay, John MacArthur says this, commenting on this very passage, by juxtaposing spirits with false prophets, John reminds his readers that behind human teachers who propagate false doctrine and error are demons inspired by Satan. Okay? So, we see this very clearly in Peter's interactions with Christ in Matthew 16. 
Jesus asked his disciples in Matthew 16, Who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says to Peter, Well done, Peter. Do you know who revealed this to you? God. God revealed this to you. So Peter's affirmation of the true gospel, of the true purpose of Christ, was revealed to him by the Spirit of God. So Jesus is affirming that. He's saying, Peter, the Spirit that is leading you to say this is the Spirit of God. Behind a true teacher, there is always the Spirit of God. In other words, Jesus is saying that the proclamation of the truth, the proclamation of the gospel is empowered always by the Spirit of God. But just a few verses later, still in Matthew 16, Jesus tells his disciples that he must die. What does Peter do then? He rebukes Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. The same person, Peter, yielding to different spirits. And Jesus discerns perfectly between truth and falsehood. Between God and Satan. The proclamation that Peter makes, right, the teacher, is first spurred by the Spirit. So... This text is not telling us that we should go around looking for unembodied entities and start conversations with them. That's not what this text is saying. John is not telling us that we need to go around looking for spirits. But John is saying when you hear someone teach, discern where that teaching is coming from. It can only come from one of two spirits. It can come from the Spirit of God, or it can come from Satan and his minions themselves. We are to discern the Spirit behind the teacher. Therefore, right now, you are to be exercising discernment. You are to, be, you are to test me to discern whether what I'm saying comes from God or whether it comes from Satan. Well, how do you do that? Well, we're going to look at two tests. And you are to apply those tests to me and to anyone. Paul himself would say, you should apply that test to me. He says that in Galatians 1. John goes on to say that we need to be discerning because... Many false prophets have gone out into the world. So John is saying, the world is filled with false teachers. Be careful. The timeless nature of the word of God is incredible, isn't it? To think that this was written 2,000 years ago, and yet today we look around ourselves, and probably in your drive over here, you drove by several churches who proclaim a gospel other than the one we uphold at this church. We have to be careful. We have to be careful. Now, 500 years ago, Martin Luther got it right. We sang this song several times 
this past month, didn't we? A mighty fortress is our God. And one of the stanzas in the song says this. And though this world with devil's field should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath will his truth to triumph through us. Martin Luther understood that the schemes of the devil are undone by the truth that proceeds from God. So you're asking yourself, you're asking yourself, you're asking, Pastor Lucas, you're asking us to test you. How do we do that? Your question is, am I preaching the word of God? Is what I'm saying flowing out of the word of God? Am I expanding on the word of God? That is the test of a true teacher. Now, let me circle back on the first word here in this section. It's a word that we have seen a lot in this letter of 1 John. John loves this word. Now, John, as a young man, was the son of thunder. But as he approaches old age and as he approaches death, we actually see a tender heart. In verse 1, he begins with the word, beloved. It's a term of endearment, but it's also a word that defines who John is actually speaking to. John is not here speaking to the elders, bishops, pastors, overseers of a church. He is not speaking here to the seminary professors or for, to the leaders of the convention. He is not speaking to cardinals or popes. John is here speaking to the beloved congregation. John is here speaking to every believer. And although pastors and leaders are to have high level of, a high level of wisdom, the burden of discernment falls on all believers. Why? Because we all have the Spirit of God in us. We're all indwelled by the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 1, it is the church that is tasked with the job of judging false angelic and apostolic teaching. In 1 Corinthians 5, it is the church that is called to judge the scandalous sin of a professed believer. All of Paul's letters, with the exception of Philemon and the Pastorals, are written to churches. So friends... When John is speaking here, saying, test the spirits, he's speaking to you. You, fellow believer. You, beloved. So how can you, as an individual, exercise spiritual discernment? Well, let me give you three practical applications. Number one, listen to James. Who is James? James is the brother of our Lord Jesus Christ. He wrote a little epistle, to a little letter towards the, towards the end of the Bible. And he says, if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask. We just sang that, didn't we? Be thou my wisdom. Lord, give me the wisdom that I lack. We all lack wisdom. So, here's a great prayer for you to pray before you hear the preached word. Lord, help me discern 
if this word is from you. You should pray that every Sunday. You should also pray, Lord, help my pastors be faithful to your word. So that we may have wisdom as well. Ask the Lord, Father, fill me with wisdom so that I may not fall prey to false teachers. But number two, also be like the Bereans. Who are the Bereans? Well, in Acts chapter 17, we learn that there's this group of people who were hearing the apostolic teaching and they were not quickly convinced. Instead, they would go back to the scriptures to make sure that what they were being taught was, taught was in accordance with the scriptures. Be like the Bereans. Don't just assume that every word that is taught is faithful. Don't just assume that everyone who takes on the label of pastor, preacher, evangelist is faithful. Study the word. Know the word. So that you can exercise discernment and so that you can test the spirits. And then three, be part of a faithful church. And if you're here, well done. Good job, right? If you're a member of this church, beautiful. That's great. That's what you should do. Join a church that makes a big deal out of covenant membership. Follow pastors who are accountable to other pastors. Be part of a church where folks watch over your life. Well, if you're here, if you're a member of this church, you can put a check in the checkbox, right? If you're not, if you're visiting us and you're saying, well, I've, I've been coming and I sense that this church stands on the truth of God's word. Well, you're sensing something true and right. Can I encourage you to, at the end of the service, go to one of the computers in the back and sign up for a starting point. It's the first step towards membership. It's a class that is taught in our, in our church. And you can know more about the distinctives of this church so that your relationship with us may be stronger. You see, church membership works as a hedge of protection for you, for your spiritual life, for your spiritual walk. Being a member at a church, at a healthy church, will give the spiritual protection that you need. But listen to this. You also do this. It will give you a good parameter for you to know what faithful teaching is and what faithful teaching is not. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged. I've had some interactions with members of this church uh, in the past few weeks, really, really, as we talked about Reformation and as we talked about, you know, the, 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 the return to faithful teaching. And, and many, many faithful members of this church have spoken very clearly about false teachers in our current day. And that's good. That's encouraging. You know why you're able to discern false teachers? Because you're standing before faithful teachers week after week. So the church you're a part of matters. The church you're a part of will help you be faithful to the task of testing the spirits. Now, since we've considered the call to test, now let us also consider two tests that we can apply to teachers. 
John lays those out before us in the following verses. So here's our second point. The confessional test. We see this in verses 2 and 3. John says, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. A confession is a statement that clarifies what a person or a group of people believe in. We saw two young men confess Christ this morning through their testimony and through their baptism. Didn't we? Their confession is not merely lip service. And, and I hope you sense the deep spiritual move, the deep movement of the Holy Spirit as we observed that proclamation of the gospel. I hope you understood that what was going on here wasn't merely the love of a discipler for his disciple and the love of a father for a son. If that's all you saw, you did not see the spiritual reality behind what happened. What happened a few minutes ago was that two young men who at a point in their lives hated God were changed by the Spirit of God. And they stood before you saying, no longer do I embrace a life that is against God. But I now embrace a life that loves God, that submits to God. A life that proclaims the gospel. Their parents, along with us, the pastors, have literally worked with them for years. Why? Because we wanted to make sure that the confession that they were making was right True and genuine, mind and heart. We wanted to make sure that they truly knew God through Jesus Christ before they proclaimed their union with Christ and their new relationship with God. This is what John is emphasizing here. Look back at verse 2. Do you see the importance of knowing the Spirit of God? Knowledge leads to assurance he says by this you know the spirit of god by this test right the knowledge of god leads us to be confident in god have you ever observed someone who really knows what they're doing do a task so two weeks ago we had Reformation celebration, right? So Chef Michael and Chef George were preparing the food for Reformation celebration. And, and we were expecting about 500 people for that event. But the days leading up to it, we realized, oh, there's just going to be way more than 500 people. And we ended up having about 700 people in that event. Now, I've been around the kitchen long enough to know that preparing food for an extra 200 people is not something you just do out of the blue. So I walked up to Michael and I said, Hey, 
there's a lot of people coming. You guys got this? And Michael just looked at me with a soft smile, filled with confidence, and said, we got this. You see, the confidence that Michael has is based on his knowledge of how a kitchen works. If you really know your way around a kitchen, a busy kitchen won't scare you. So this is the point that John is making here. If you know the Spirit of God, if you're able to test the Spirit of God, you won't fear the Spirit of this world. The schemes of Satan won't threaten you. So if you're a believer among us, and you struggle with assurance of salvation, this test will actually help you grow in confidence. This test will actually help you find assurance in the Lord. And what is the test? John says, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And this confession is so important. But why? The statement Jesus has come in the flesh, or Jesus came in the flesh, is in essence a summary of the gospel. This statement actually highlights both Jesus' human nature and his divine nature. Both are necessary for salvation. He came, which means he always existed, which means he is eternal, which means he is God. In the flesh, which means he is a man. Both Jesus' divinity and Jesus' humanity are necessary for our salvation. If you deny one or the other, you lose the gospel. So John is not just making a big deal about this little sentence that people ought to repeat. John is actually saying that we cannot deny the gospel and speak from God. John is not merely saying orthodox faith or orthodox statements are enough. He's saying that the central message of every true teacher is the good news that Jesus came as both men and God. This is the central message of this church. We proclaim Christ as we see him in Scripture. Why? Because you need Christ. Because our children need Christ. Because I need Christ, and not a counterfeit. Friends, the confession of the church is that the God-man, Jesus Christ, came. He came as God and therefore was perfect in every way. Never experienced sin. He came as a man and therefore was able to identify with all of humanity. It is only when our sinful nature is exchanged with Jesus' flawless nature that we are forgiven. And how does this happen? By faith. 
by faith in the proclamation of the gospel. If you believe Jesus came in the flesh, died on the cross, and rose again on the third day, God is for you. You are his, and he is yours. If you believe Jesus did all of these things for the forgiveness of your sins and for the hope of eternal life, your sins are forgiven. You are right before God. This is why John is saying, don't tamper with this message. Don't change this message. Be faithful to this message. Listen to those who speak, who proclaim, who confess this message. And this is the standard by which we must test every spirit. Friends, if a church does not proclaim this message, stay away from it. If a preacher downplays the gospel, don't listen to him. If a teacher does not lose the message of the gospel, he is not worth following. Recently, a false prophet of a mega church here in America said, Following Jesus does not change you into something else. It reveals who you've been all along. Do you see something wrong with these statements? To meet the God of the universe. The one who tells a star, move over here. And the star obeys. The one who says, the sun will rise. And the sun obeys. The one who dictates the tune to which specks of dust will dance to in the air. To meet him. And not be changed? Do you see something wrong with this statement? Friends, this false prophet's church has an attendance of over 25,000 people a weekend. Why are they tolerating this? Because they're not testing the spirit behind his proclamation. Friends, let us not fall prey to the same error. And let us not assume that we'll always just automatically discern the Spirit. Now, look back at the text. We can learn a little bit, a little bit about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit here, right? What is the primary focus of the Spirit of God? The primary focus of the Spirit of God is to shine the spotlight on the person and the work of Christ. Although the Father and the Son and the Spirit are equal in nature, they have distinct roles. The Spirit makes much of the Son. The proclamation that comes from the Spirit of God is that Jesus came. Jesus himself says this in John 15. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Jesus is saying, the job of the Holy Spirit is to take the spotlight and turn it to Christ. And Christ receives the glory. Now, many of us have been deeply influenced in our past by denominations that emphasize emotional expressions in the Spirit rather than the proclamation of Christ. Well, let me say this. The Spirit himself would want us to know that we shouldn't pursue that. The Spirit himself would want us to know 
that the, the Spirit himself would want us to know that the experience in the Spirit should lead us to look at Christ and make much of him. Now, the danger of, of overemphasizing, right, overemphasizing the experience in the Spirit and downplaying the glory of Christ, the focus of the ministry of the Spirit, is that we may, we may fall prey to emotionalism. So we saw that fideism means faith without reason. But we also need to be careful and stay away from emotionalism. Faith with feelings without truth. The Spirit would want us to know that our emotions derive from our deep consideration of the cross of Christ. Our passions must be informed by the passion of Christ himself. Now... You may perhaps say, Pastor Lucas, you just don't get me because you're a cold person. I hope you don't think that. But perhaps you're saying that. And then I'll respond to you by saying, no, I'm not a cold person. You probably need to know me a little bit better. Let's spend time together. That's not true. I'm actually teaching you how to display your emotions the right way. I'm actually telling you that your emotions, right? Just think about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, that's an emotion. Joy, that's an emotion, right? You can display your emotions, but do not forget that the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Do not forget that emotions don't mean that we simply go out of control with our responses. But Christians emote under control. And these expressions can be extravagant, right? They can be, right? But they're never out of control. We, by the ministry of the Spirit, control our emotions. So we respond rightly. We don't let the intensity or lack of intensity of our music dictate how we feel during worship. The way we feel during worship is dictated by the truth that we're proclaiming together through the songs we sing. We don't just let testimonies, right, and stories stir up our emotions if they're void of truth. But testimonies and stories that proclaim the truth of Christ should drive us to deep, Christ-centered, spirit-filled, emotional responses. I am not suggesting emotionless church. I am suggesting that we should embrace emotions the way Christ embraced emotions. Never has the earth seen a more passionate man than Christ. Never has the whole earthly seen a more self-controlled man than Christ. And in him we find both things in perfect balance. Now notice that the text that the text also highlights that the opposite is true as well of the spirits, doesn't it? 
If a spirit does not proclaim the truth about Christ, he is a spirit that proceeds from the Antichrist. We already talked about the Antichrist, right? I think this is a reference to Satan and those that are under his dominion, right? And, and, the, and, the, and Satan wants us to be confused about who Christ is and what he has done. Because once we understand who Christ is and what he has done, we have access to salvation. And Satan does not want us to find salvation. Now the text says that Satan, that the spirit of the Antichrist is coming and he's already with us, right? So John is referring to this age. During this age, Satan is seeking to deceive. He will be defeated. But right now, he is seeking to, de to deceive. So, this is our confessional test. The proclamation of the gospel will highlight a true teacher or a false teacher, a true prophet or a false prophet. Well, now let's consider our last point, point number three, the apostolic test. In verse 4, John says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth in the spirit of error. Notice the, en the emphasis here on identity. He calls the believers little children. Again, a term of endearment. Then he says, you have overcome the world. Not because you are great, but because God is great. And since you are in him and he is in you, in you, you win victory is ours already because we belong to god you see the affirmation here the affirmation here is that we can know we can know that we are victorious in christ here's another point of confidence that believers can have our identity in Christ, our union with God, causes us to know that we will be victorious at the end. I don't know if you do this, but uh, sometimes I, I like to fix people's theology on Facebook. <laughs> Any of you do that? Am I alone? Okay, I think I'm alone here. But yesterday I saw a post... And I had to fix it. I saw a post that said, somebody actually posted this. It was a picture of a, of a sign on a church. And the sign said, God's love is unconditional as long as you're obeying Christ. <laughs> so here is the problem with that statement. God's love is unconditional. Let me tell you a condition. As long as you're obeying Christ. Now, I understand the heart behind the statement. Okay? It is, is obedience necessary? Yes. Okay? 
But if we're going to say that God's love is unconditional, we need to explain that there's no condition for God's love. So here's how I fix that statement. God's love is unconditional for those who are in Christ. You see, because here I'm not putting a condition, I'm actually putting a description, right? I'm saying if you are in Christ, God's love is unconditional towards you. It is true. God will never cast you out. God will always keep you in the palm of his hand. That is true. And you know what else is true if you're in Christ? If you are in Christ, you're going to love Christ so much, you're going to obey him. Right? That is descriptive of the Christian life. So our union with Christ, right, shouldn't cause us to then doubt. It should cause us to be confident. And know that because Christ is in us and we are in him, we should expect to see fruits of regeneration. And we should pursue these fruits of regeneration. And because Satan, Satan is already defeated, we know that he has no power over us. So we are free to live a life that is godly and upright. So union with Christ is meant to give us confidence. We have overcome the false teachers. Why? Because God is in us, and the greatest false teacher is not greater than God. Their power to convince us is not greater than the power of God to keep us. So we have to be confident in Christ that we are going to be discerning, that we are going to be able to test the spirits. So it is not a matter of whether or not we will win the battle against Satan. We've already won it. But it is ultimately a matter of when Jesus will finally cast him into the lake of fire. Listen to how Paul puts this in Romans 16, 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So we need to know, we need to be aware of false teachers. But we also need to know that the power of the Spirit behind false teachers is not over us. They have no power to dissuade us. They have no power to cause us to stray because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. So, victory for the believer is assured. So we wait in faith and obedience. Now, notice what John is saying here in verse 5. It's not just that those who speak falsehood, who are, it's not just those who speak falsehood who are from God. It is those who listen to false teachers. Who are condemned as well. Not only is the teaching of heresy damnable, the toleration of heresy is a great offense to God. Friends, we must give no room to false teachers. That is why in our bookstore, every book that you find there has been approved by a pastor of this church. Because we refuse to have 
any false teaching at our church. That is why our youth and family pastors, right, is a pastor who oversees what is being taught to our children and who himself teaches our youth. That is why you have great access to those who teach, instruct, and lead this church. So that we will prevent falsehood from entering this church. Friends, we must give no room whatsoever to false teachers. They must have none of our attention. The world listens to the teachers of the world. But we are not of the world. Friends, we have to be careful about who we listen to. Do not choose a church because it's fun, hip, or contemporary. Don't just go to a church because your children have friends there or they have a super cool youth pastor wearing skinny jeans and too much gel. <laughs> but the opposite is true. <laughs> Sorry, Pastor Jason, you can't do that. <laughs> You can't do that. I can rank on him because I stopped using gels in my early 20s. Yeah. Now I go to beard oil. So it's very manly. The opposite also is true, though. Do not choose a church because it's formal or traditional. Do not choose a church because it reminds you of old-time religion. Do not choose a church because that's the way church is supposed to feel like. Choose a church according to its faithfulness and fidelity to the Word of God. Well, now, what does verse 6 say? It says that we are different than those who listen to the world, right? We are from God. Identity again. And John says, whoever knows God listens to us. But who is us? Who is John referring to when he's saying us? When John uses the word us here, he's referring to those who teach according to the doctrine of the apostles. Now, it would sound really strange if I stood up here and I merely said, right, you shouldn't listen to the world. You should only listen to Pastor Lucas. That sounds proud. That, that, that does not sound safe, right? Because I am a man who commits errors. Why is it right for John to say that of himself? Well, John is part of a specific group of men that Jesus himself selected, who Jesus himself lived with for three years, and who Jesus himself taught and instructed. These men learned the gospel from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And before Jesus went back and, and, and ascended back into heaven, he said to them, all authority has been given to me, therefore go you my apostles make disciples, right, and baptize them and teach them. So John is saying, I have been given this authority from the Lord Jesus Christ because I'm an apostle. You should listen to the apostolic teaching. You should listen to those who speak with this kind of authority. And then Jesus says, 
and I will be with you until the end of times. So what is Jesus saying here in, in, in Matthew 28? He's saying, I am passing this apostolic, I'm passing this apostolic authority to these men. They are going to teach, and through their teaching, my truth, the truth of my gospel, will endure I, I, until I return. So, that authority was given to the apostles. It was compiled right here on this book, right? Every book in this Bible is connected either to an apostle or to a prophet, right? And this is given to us. And this book right here taught. And as you receive it with the discernment of the Holy Spirit, will teach you how to discern truth from falsehood. Paul says the same thing in Ephesians 2. So then you are no longer strangers and, strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. This book. Both John and Paul are here describing the church. The church of God is built on the teaching of the prophets and the apostles contained in the Bible. Through the apostolic teaching, we can hear the message of Christ, believe in it, and receive the Spirit of God. By the way, the apostolic age is over. There are no more apostles. The apostles were the original ones called by Jesus, taught by Jesus himself. And today, we stand on the apostolic proclamation, on the apostolic truth. A failure to defend the apostolic proclamation of Christ will destroy the church. We must defend it. The word and the spirit is what is going to teach us to discern truth from error. And friends, in spiritual matters, the difference between truth and error could be the difference between eternal life and eternal death. So, I come back to my initial question. Is life a test? Yes. And you're being tested right now. You have heard the proclamation of the gospel. You have been called to believe in it. You have heard the apostolic witness. Now, the question you're being asked is, what will you do with Christ? Would you pray with me? Father, we recognize that there are so many that are deceived in this world. Lord, we recognize that were it not for your spirit and your word, we too would be deceived. But Lord, because of your work, 
in the hearts of your children, we don't have to embrace falsehood and lies. We can know that Jesus Christ came. We can know that He came to rescue sinners. We can know that we can live with confidence in life eternal. And we can know, Lord, that you are our God and we are your people. Lord, I pray for those here that may be deceived. May this word challenge them so that they can say, I no longer want to be deceived, but I want to walk in truth. So work in our hearts, Lord, that none of us here today would be lost. That we would all proclaim Christ, His gospel, His work on the cross for our, on our behalf. Lord, we pray these things in the name of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.